All right. Um, we are in the middle of a testimony sermon series. So before I give you my story today, I just want to bring two things to your attention. One is happy anniversary, four years that I've been here this Sunday. So... So look, I might forget my wedding anniversaries, but I remembered you people, so no. Um, but this is also the last week of the old sound system. Um, if you notice, there, yeah, there are uh, panels missing up here in the ceiling, and they've been scaffolding here all week, so these won't be here anymore, and we're going to get to see uh, what real sound sounds like, although we're thankful for how you have served us in times past, but it's time for you to, to go. So anyway. Um, all right, well, let me read for you a passage of Scripture that uh, has a lot to do with my story, um, perhaps with some of yours, and I won't read all of it because it's a long passage, but I'm going to give you the heart of, uh, of this passage here, Luke 15, 11 through 24, and then we'll pray after that. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. Not long after, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. The young man longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I'll set out and go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to his father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Let's pray. Father, I thank you um, for amazing grace. I thank you for uh, unbridled compassion, for love from heaven that is so lavish and um, unending and so rich and so flowing in our direction. And Lord, I, I thank you that again and again in the Christian life, in, in, uh, in our stories that, that we share with one another, you know, the real issue is not how bad we've blown it, but uh, how good you have been to us in Jesus, how much you have given back. And so today, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart with my own life story uh, be acceptable in your sight and highly beneficial to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, uh, Steve Keller, that's me, um, I, was, I was born into a Christian home and uh, a lot of people say that, but for me, it, it was very real because my mother, who is from the UK, she's as British as they come, um, she, she and my father, uh, when they got married, she was not a Christian, 
but very quickly she came to Christ. And so for, for me as a child, my mother had a very fresh, real, living relationship with Jesus, and that makes an impact. Um, the life of a parent lived out in front of kids re really makes a difference. So I had that going for me. Um, my father also was a very committed Christian. Um, just he, he loved Jesus, believed in Him, walked with Him very humbly, very simply. He didn't preach a lot of Jesus, but you could not miss the fact that this man was following Christ in his life. And so, because both of them were really living for Jesus, for me, as early as I can remember, God was real. Um, Jesus was very appealing to me. And, and as a young family, along with my, um, my sister, we went to a Baptist church. And at that Baptist church, the Word of God was proclaimed. And, and even if a church environment is stiff, even if there are things that we would say are missing in a church, when the Word of God is preached, it makes a difference in the life. And so here I was really hearing the Word of God divided, uh, memorizing Scripture. Some of y'all remember the old Scripture memorization. I lived through all of that as a kid. And also in this family, there, there are, in this church, there were lots and lots of families. And there was tons of programming for children. Um, we had vacation Bible school every year. Um, very Baptist, but very vacation Bible school. Uh, we had Sunday school for all ages. And then we had a little thing that if, if you've ever been in, uh, in the Baptist church called RAs and GAs. Uh, yes, I heard a woo, somebody, kind of like Awanas, you know, that type of thing. So, you know, I, I had all of this going for me. And so for me as a kid, I accepted Christ very early and, and my youngest days were just growing up in Jesus, you know, and, and even singing the song in church, like a tree, like a tree, I'm like a green olive tree. I was growing in the house of the Lord. It was a great start. But there was a growing darkness in my life throughout all of those years. Um, it was unmistakable, and it was, a, it was a little thing called church hurt. Anybody ever heard of church hurt? Well, you're getting ready to hear about church hurt. Um, because as a child in this church, there were also a lot of religious politics. Um, there, there were a lot of power plays among people who thought they were something and, and, and led, you know, very strongly and restrictively. And the ministry, though I, I appreciated all that stuff I was getting as a kid, even I could pick up in my immature state that the, it was very programmed and everything this church did was man-made. Now, here's how I got that point, because any time we came to anything in Scripture that was supernatural or extraordinary, we read right around it. The power of God in this church was dismissed. I've said this before, I think here, but if the Holy Spirit showed up in the church I grew up in in my early days, we'd have put a visitor badge on him and we would have told him to sit down in the back row. That's how it was. And so for me, as a kid, I, I, I really had a struggle here because I could not reconcile the grace and the love of God in the Gospels. I'd hear these stories about Jesus and His freedom and His love and just His compassion. I'd see that. But then in the church I was in, there was a lot of rigidity. There was a lot of control. It was tightly scripted behavior for us, and I struggled with that. And, and also, as a child, I could not figure out when I looked at the Word of God, when in the world did God lose His power? And so there was, there was a real tension in my life. I was torn as a kid about this, but the final straw came for me as a child when this church I was in cannibalized two pastors. 
Two men that stood before us every week, and they're, they're not perfect. No pastor is perfect, but these guys were shepherds. Man, when they preached, you just felt the love of God, the way they cared for us. I mean, these were wonderful men of God. This church chewed them up and spit them out. And so for me as a pre-teenager, I came to a conclusion, and the conclusion was Jesus Christ might be Savior of this church, but He is not Lord of this church. And, um, you know, rightly or long, wrongly, that's where I came. And, and so this is church hurt. This was church hurt for me. And church hurt affects people very differently. But what it did to me was it turned me into a Luke 15 younger son prodigal. It turned me into a prodigal son. And, and what I did, as soon as I was aware of it, I checked out of church. I was still present in church, but I wasn't there anymore. You know what I mean? Calling him Lord, Lord, but my heart was a long, long way away. And, and so this was a place I was in for a little while, and then I went into middle school, and I discovered I had a gift. And the gift, the gift that I, I discovered was that I could make people laugh. Um, I could make people laugh hard, and when people laughed, y'all, it was a rush. I mean, for me, it was the highest high. And so what happened was I went from this little kid, kind of the king of the, of the nerds or the king of the losers to the king of comedy. And I did it through impressions. So my friends would run up to me all the time in a big group setting. They would say, Steve, Steve, do Droopy, the, the dog from the cartoons. And I would go, hey, folks, I'm the little dog in that cartoon. Or they'd say, uh, and this is all stuff that was hip in my generation, so some of the kids are like, I don't know what he's talking about. Or, you know, they would say, Steve, do Mr. Mr. Haney from Green Acres. And I'd go, well, 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 Mr. Du-, you know, or do the Munchkins from The Wizard of Oz. And so I'd get up and go, as cold in a I thoroughly examined her. <laughs> and... That, that, that actually spun off into a little while where I did radio commercials and I, was, I wanted to be a voice actor. They would even say, some, this was everybody's favorite. I have no idea why. They'd say, Steve, do an elephant. And so I'd go, well, let's see if I can do it. <laughs> so that, that was my greatest impression. So what happened is that I, I have this, you know, and laughter is a real vehicle that connects people. So when I got to high school, I, I, all the coolest kids wanted me to go to lunch with them, you know, and keep the laughs going. And I got invited to every party that was out there. And for me, very quickly, popularity became my drug. Um, partying became my, my thing. And Jesus just continued to fade into the background of my life. And, and there are people that, that say this, and, um, you know, they say, oh, you know, there's nothing, nothing about sin that is appealing. That's a lie. The Bible says that even sin, even sin for a season, man, it, 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 it's hot stuff for you. And so for me, I was out there having a whole lot of fun. Um, but, but what was growing inside of me was an incredible emptiness. Um, and, and here's why I began to feel empty. It was because I had tasted the goodness of God as a child. And, and this is why some of you parents who are praying for your children, oh, will they come back? Listen, when your kids taste the goodness of God, you, can't, you, you, you just can't shrug that off. You can't forget about that forever. So I had tasted the goodness of God as a child, even in this church with its limitations, but through my parents and some good experiences there, and partying and popularity was no substitute. That There is no one like God 
and the heavens and the earth. Nothing is a substitute for him. And so for me, it was fun without any joy. You know, it was fame without any love at all. And uh, it was a crowd of peers, but there was no, there was no family. And, and this, this before long, this emptiness was just consuming me. And I was a wasteland inside. He said, well, Steve, why were you a wasteland? Well, I mean, even, even start with Webster's Dictionary. Webster defines prodigal, the word prodigal, as a profuse or wasteful expenditure. And that's why I was a wasteland inside. Everything I was doing was, was a waste. I had turned into the Luke 15 prodigal son. I had walked out on God. I would walked out on my spiritual family and my soul, my soul was barren. I was so bone dry. I mean, I, I even had fleeting thoughts of ending life. It, it didn't go too far, but that's how empty I was. And so, so I, I just longed for love. I longed for the rest that I felt when I was a kid. I, I longed for, for life. I just longed for God. And so one night, lying on my bed with the room spinning, and no, I didn't have vertigo, but the room was spinning, I, I, I just, I was laying there in agony. I was tormented, just caught in between two worlds, you know, like standing on, on a yellow line and traffic's coming both ways, and I'm also about to be physically sick. And so I just got angry. I got angry with God, and I said, Jesus, when will you leave me alone? <laughs> and it was the first time I remember God speaking back to me. The Holy Spirit said, Jesus said to me, never. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. This doesn't work that way. You might walk out, but I never leave. And y'all, when that happened, two things happened to me. Number one, I was instantly sober, instantly sober. And the second thing that happened to me was my heart broke and the love of God just rushed in. The love of God just poured into me. And I want you to know this. If you are here today and you're a prodigal, you are always a whisper away from Jesus. You are one little, and it needs to be a heart cry, you are a heart cry away from life, salvation, fullness, life and life to the full. You're that close. So here I am, and, and now I'm at a very uh, kind of awkward place in my life because um, at this point, there's only one place to go, and that's back to church. <laughs> I had to go back to church. But fortunately, my folks had, had changed churches during my prodigal years, and believe it or not, they, they started going to a charismatic church, okay? So my parents are going to this charismatic church. It's completely different from the church I was in, and it, it was a part of this weird denomination, okay? I, I go ahead and say it. You, you never heard of it. It's called the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. So they're part of this thing, Right? And, so, and so, so I start going into church because I had really bailed out there, but you, I went into this church and the worship was alive and free. And every now and then they'd even sing some of the same songs we sang in the Baptist church, but honey, it was nothing like what we were doing in the Baptist church. I mean, people are moving, they're raising their hands. I'm like, man, everybody in this place has got a question. They want to ask a question. What's going on here? It's so awkward. But, but these people, they were, they were just moving. The preaching went straight through my heart. I'd never heard anybody preach filled with the Spirit before, and it, would, it just shot through my heart every, every time. It was like the guy was just preaching to me, speaking to me. I, I, I couldn't understand it. And the people, the people were different. These people act like they had actually met Jesus, 
They all acted like they were in love with them. And then sometimes, to make matters worse, they even acted like Jesus in worship. They would, these people had the audacity to pray for healing in church. They did it all the time. Emotional healing, physical healing, spiritual healing. You know, every now and then someone would pop up and, and they would have a word from God. And, and some of those words, you know, that didn't land with a thud, some of them tore me to shreds. And, and no matter how hard I tried in this church with this, this coming back to Christ experience, I could not shake this new church off. I couldn't ignore what I was seeing. I couldn't dismiss it. And it was like the Holy Spirit had Steve Keller in a tractor beam, and I couldn't get out of it. And then the kicker for me one day was I was sitting in worship in the back, which was my thing. I was sitting in the back of the church, actually on this side, your right, my left. So I'm sitting in the back here, and right in the middle of worship, the Lord spoke to me for the second time, and he said, Steve, I want you to stand up, and I want you to say this. And God gave me a specific phrase. And I thought two things right now. There are two crazy people in this room, and one of them's me. I am losing my mind. But I knew it was God, and the second one was, God, you must be crazy. There is no way I'm going to stand up in a church service and say anything. And the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, right? So the Lord said, okay. And then you know what happened? The guy right in front of me, sitting directly in front of me, stood up and said exactly the words that the Lord had put. Y'all, everything inside of me turned to jello. I was so freaked out. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've been reading this stuff my whole life. And, and th 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 this is, th you know, this is not what we've been doing in church. I mean, th this, this is like what I read about. I was all twisted up inside, and I didn't know what to do. But, but fortunately for me, I was about to go to college. And my thinking at the time was, okay, good. I, college is six hours away. Boone, North Carolina is six hours away from Wilmington, North Carolina. The, you got the beach and you got the mountains. I'm going to get out of here in like a month. I can get away. I can be safe. I don't have to see any of these crazy people anymore. I don't have to be tormented every week. God will leave me alone. And uh, so I went off to college with a great plan in place. You know, of course, you know, it's going to work. And I ran right into a bunch of flaming, charismatic college students. And y'all, these people were crazy for Jesus, okay? And sometimes we get on young people, we think, man, they're just, you know, they're too far out there. Listen, it is much better for a bunch of young adults to be hooked on Jesus than anything else. And these guys were hooked. They were hooked. <laughs> Jane knew them too. Y'all, these people would pray for anything. They would pray for anybody. We would stay up all night long and pray. Just pray, 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 pray. And what would happen in those prayer meetings is these guys would listen to God, listen for God, and sometimes they would hear the Lord. And when they spoke, the authority and the power and the accuracy and the clarity with, with which they spoke, it just blew my mind. So now I've gone from being, you know, uncomfortable and whelming to absolutely tortured in Boone, North Carolina. Because I, ha I have my old church, my, my, uh, or my new church that my parents are going to, and these college students, they are calling me into freedom. And yet my old church, those formative years of my life have got me held back in shackles. So I, I'm just really torn up. And in the meantime, I'm searching the scriptures. I'm wrestling with the gospels. I'm, I'm having a, just a knockdown, drag out fight with the book of Acts. And I was like, Lord, I, I don't know what to do here. And then finally, one day, 
my, my friends invited me to a healing conference. And I'm like, oh gosh, a healing conference. Okay, well, fine. Well, the day before we left, I got strep throat. So I thought, hey, I'm off the hook. I don't have to go to this weird thing. And my friends were like, no, 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 you're coming, you're coming. Well, in the opening meeting of this healing conference, the guy gets up and he says, the Lord is going to heal somebody's throat. And I'm going, there is no way. And there's like 600 people. I'm like, I am so safe in here. So the Lord's going to heal somebody's throat. Right then, I felt the heat. I mean, it was like someone took a hot water bottle and went, boom, on my throat. I was completely healed of this strep throat. And then, and then I was slain in the Spirit, you know, and I used to make fun of that. Oh, I, I just, I, to, I used to tear that up. Slain in the Spirit, and y'all, the Holy Spirit, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it was like being baptized with a fire hose. It just, and to quote Monty Python, I, I guess I can do this in church, everything was completely different from then on. My, God has reoriented anything. And here's the thing about theology. You know, you, you, can, you can get a real, a real strict theology about what God doesn't do. It's really good to do that. You know, you can, you can hold that all day long until God comes and screws up your theology. And that's what happened. God came and He just blew that theology up. And He said, here's a full experience of who I am. Suddenly, all that stuff, cobwebs, rigidity of religion, all that was just blown away. And I realized my God can do anything He sets His heart and mind to do through whoever He says He'll do it through. I mean, this is my God. And so we fast forward now into a few years later, and God had called me into ministry and I was a youth pastor back in Wilmington. Everything is going great. Man, there's so much fruit. I'm just enjoying ministering in the Spirit. But, but I had a problem. And the problem I had was that God was calling me into pastoral ministry. And I had all the zeal. You know, I was full of the Spirit, but I, I just didn't have any training. My biblical knowledge, especially because of my prodigal years, I was really thin on, on Scripture, theology, and, and I knew I was not equipped. And seminary is not for everybody, but I knew seminary was for me. Jane and I knew we needed to go to seminary. And uh, again, the good news was it was impossible, you know, so I think I'm safe. It was impossible for two reasons. Number one, I had been a terrible student in high school, you know. When you're the king of the parties, you're not hitting the books real hard, and I barely graduated from high school. And in college, you know, I'm a better student because now I'm walking with Christ but I was kind of a little too busy chasing Jesus and the woman on the fifth row <laughs> to hit the books real hard. So my grades were better, but they weren't good. And God's calling me to an Ivy League seminary. I'm like, Lord, I'll never even get into this thing. And plus, Jane and I were poor. Well, I'll just fast forward here. We soon found out that God does impossible really, really well. Uh, God doesn't have any problem with impossible. And so five years later... Um, I graduated with an A minus average, which is incredible in this environment because my first two years were catching up. And um, I took not only two years of Hebrew, which is a requirement, everybody goes, get in, get out of Hebrew, and you get out of there. I took four years. Um, man, I, I could, I, Hebrew, I mean, I just, I, I, I thought, breathe, I, I sweated Hebrew. I just fell in love with it. So God just does all this impossible, but listen, we would need that impossible to become possible and to see God do that because the next thing God called us to was probably even more impossible in everybody else's mind than seminary. And God called Jane and I to plant a church in rural North Carolina. And everybody I knew except God said, there's no way you're going to, don't do it. 
They would say stuff to me like, Steve, you and Jane have never planted a church. It's the hardest thing to do in ministry. You don't have the experience and the training to do this. You're going to fail. You're going to crash. You're going to burn. Steve, that rural town doesn't have the demographics to plant a church. A thriving church in this area is going to be 20 people. Do not do this. You won't even sustain yourself. It's doomed to fail. (laughs) Four years later, that church was busting to the seams with people. And y'all, we had stories in that church of God's grace, God's salvation, even seeing God reorient people sexually in, in a biblical way, okay? It's very important to say that, okay? We saw God do things in people's lives. I mean, if you would have had a camera crew come and shoot some of this testimony, it was mind-blowing. We saw God do what, no, what nobody, no man could do. Beautiful. But see, then you fast forward another eight years, and I was in a very different place in ministry. Um, I was burned out. I was about 95% burnout in ministry. And I was pulling off Sunday morning, you know, hey, how you doing? Praise God. Too blessed to be stressed. I was pulling all that stuff off. But y'all inside, I was falling apart. And the reason I was falling apart um, was, was some unhealthy ministry things in my life. But I had also really been beaten down by a lot of the people I was serving with, some of the people in the church. And then, of course, I I had just been running too hard for too long in the church without rest, without life. I mean, the fullness of the Spirit, I was getting emptier and emptier and emptier again. And by the way, speaking of running, there was something else going on in my life during that time. I had become addicted to uh, marathon training. Harrison, you got those, those slides here? Show you a couple slides from, from the back in the day. Yeah, I'd become addicted to marathon. Hey, good looking. Boy, you were in better shape back then, um, much better shape. Um, but, but in seminary, I had trained for and qualified for the Boston Marathon, which is actually pretty difficult to do. And it set off in my life years of racing, years of running, like 75 to 100 miles a week of running. And, and for me, running was an unbelievable stress outlet. You know, I, I would actually go, I would put sermons together while I'd do a 20-miler. I would, I, you know, I would, I would pray. It was actually a very, very, uh, very helpful thing for me. And not to brag, um, but I was fast, okay? Um, I was really, really fast. I, I was borderline, I didn't get there, but I was borderline being invited to, to uh, try out for, for the Olympics. Never would have made it. But they bring like a, like a pack of 200 runners, and my times were getting in toward that Olympic, uh, that, that Olympic tryout. And, uh, you know, I, I had some ways to go, but, um, you know, I, I could run, I'll put it this way, I could run a 10-miler in well under an hour. Do the math. That's fast, okay? So, um, but the problem was a year before my burnout… Something happened to my legs. I blew them out on a speed run, and during that, day, during that run, I was done. I was done with running. I was completely done. It was like God took away my, God, not God took it away, but my, the favorite thing in my life was just done. And so here I was. I was burned out in ministry. My legs were shot. I couldn't do my favorite thing, and in every way, I knew it was time for a new season. And I was like, Lord, I don't know what to do at this point. You know, all I know how to do is pastor. All I know how to do is run, and, and God, I just can't do either anymore. I know you haven't failed me, but you're going to have to pull something off. And at that point, God brought NASCAR into my life, and you've heard a lot about that, so I won't go into it. But for me, what NASCAR was, 
Some of it was detoxing. It was really getting detoxed from just, you know, a lot of religion and just being driven by ministry and some of the hurts in, in the church. Some of that was detox, but it was just getting back to what matters most in ministry. You know, just, just loving people, just sharing Jesus and NASCAR. I was so dependent on God every day out there. And it was just rich. And I had four fruitful, wonderful, amazing years out there every Saturday and Sunday, just, just sharing Jesus Christ with drivers and pit crew guys and all of that. But there's another side to NASCAR, and it was that traveling 60 to 70,000 miles a year, it was really taking a toll on my home life. Um, try as we may, Jane and I fought. We fought. We fought to stay close, but we drifted. You can't be gone four days a week, and, and we drifted. And then after we fought and we drifted, then we really fought. I mean, we fought. We, it was on when I was home. I also missed a lot of little moments in my kid's life. I missed some big ones, but I think for me it was the little moments that hurt so much. I remember one day driving to the airport. Jane was driving me to the Charlotte, Charlotte Douglas uh, Airport, Noah was in the car with me, and as we pulled up to the airport, Noah said, Daddy, do you live here now? And at that, that moment, the Lord said, you know what? That was me telling you that this is done, that, that you're over. But again, where to go next? God, what do I do? I've done church. I've done NASCAR. Lord, I have no options in front of me, and I've got to, I, no open doors. What do I do? And on a suggestion from my lovely wife, I made one phone call, and God connected me to KPC. One phone call. <laughs> Isn't God just the coolest? I mean, it just, he's like, yeah, phone call, done. Just like that. I mean, God is so rich, and so, so here I am, um, you know, a prodigal son who was once very lost, um, and then discovered that Jesus Christ is not only sa Savior, but He's Lord. And that his lordship, following him in life, is everything. I've discovered that, that, that in Jesus there is joy, there is life, there is peace. To be filled with his spirit, to hear his voice, to have his hand shape my heart, for, for him to lead me and guide me and show me. Guys, coming underneath the lordship of Christ, and that, that, that's what my life has been, just step after step, you know, obstacle after obstacle, dry season, rich season. Y'all, it's all just been about coming underneath the lordship of Christ more and more and more in my life. Some of us today, we are aching so much for peace, for life, for love. Man, coming underneath who Jesus Christ is. Some of us hunger so much to be transformed. We're so tired of words. We want so much to be transformed. We want to grow in Jesus Christ. And it's all about being prodigal kids who return home. And, and prodigal happens in a lot of different ways. God has called us. Jesus has called us. The Spirit of God, He's calling us to become rescuers as a church, just like Jesus rescued. He's calling us to a place in worship where we get less and less self-conscious. We just forget about who's around us and what's going on into freedom, into surrender, into abandonment. It's, it ties into what Steve was saying just a few minutes ago in that encouraging word from God. Guys, we are called to move from weakness 
into the power of the living God as people. We are called to have the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit in our life. I want you to know this. You know, Jill Briscoe said this in something James was listening to yesterday. She said, I'm 82 years old, and I want to tell you something. After 82 years, it's real. It is real. That's, yeah, it's real. That, that's what I want to tell you guys. Listen, your pastor has struggled significantly in his life. I have had some of the driest seasons. I've even stepped into ministry and then gone bone dry. There have been times where I've prayed and I just feel like my prayers, you know, oh my God, they're, 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 not, they're not even rising. They're just falling straight to the ground. But I want to tell you this, it is real. This Jesus Christ rescues. He restores. He calls. He equips. This Holy Spirit is awesome. Freedom in Him is amazing to be energized by Him, getting back again and again and again. That prodigal son return is a beautiful thing in our lives. But I'm going to tell you what holds us back in the church. And this was my problem. Every single time I took a left turn, right? I can't say left, right. But anyway, every time I took a left turn, every time I found myself in the swamp, every time I found myself uh, dried out, there was one thing that came back to me again and again and again. This is your problem, Steve. The problem is offense. I want every one of us to know that offense and unforgiveness, y'all, it, it, it kills us as Christians. It cripples us as churches. It grieves the Spirit of God. And so when it, when it comes to things, like some of the things I mentioned, church hurt, when it comes to ministry offense, you know, being offended with that pastor, you know, for whatever reason, or that person in the church, or those power players, Offense with parents, being offended with our spouse, being offended with our children. You know, you can be offended with your children. Those kids never do. You know, I mean, being offended with them, being offended with this world. Boy, if there's anything I saw during this political system, and I'm glad we're strong, I'm glad we're, we're passionate about godly principles and the kingdom of God and government, but I'll tell you one thing, I saw a whole lot of offense from the church toward the world a whole lot of offense towards politicians. The Lord has showed me again and again, Steve, you cannot minister to the world if you're offended with the world. You, you, you can't love your spouse and have a rich marriage if you're embittered against your wife. You can't take these sweet little children and help them grow into green olive trees if, you know, you're ticked off with them because they never do what you say they ought to do, and it's got to go. And so I want to ask you a question, a question I ask myself as I put this together. How do you know if you are a victim, and I'll just say victim, of offense? Answer a question. When it comes to spiritual life, okay, and I'll just say the book of Acts, all right? When it comes to the book of Acts, people on fire, what do you look like against the book of Acts? Are you a spiritual cripple in some way? Are you like Steve Keller was and sometimes still is on some days? Are your prayers weak? Are you being transformed by God? Is there joy in your life, in worship? Are you free? 
Is there joy and life in your worship? In one of our songs today, I saw a word, wonder. Are you and I, KPC, are we filled with wonder at times over who God is? Does God still undo us the way he used to undo us in those days when we first met Jesus Christ? Do you hear God? Are you moved by God? And if the answer is no, and I, I admitted it, on some days in my life the answer is no, there's a really, really good chance that there is something in the way. There's a good chance that there is something like offense, hurt, and unforgiveness. Because it's real easy to hear a testimony like mine and go, hey, you know what? I was never the Luke 15 prodigal son. I never went wild and crazy like our pastor did way back when. Well, let me just remind you of something in this story. There was another brother in the story, wasn't there? There was the older brother. He was angry. He was indignant. He was offended. Folks, one young man, the younger brother, he goes hog wild, and he returns, and he's restored. But there is that older brother, and we don't get the end of his life. He is dutiful. He is faithful. He's very present at home. He's present and accounted for, but he's bitter, offended, and he's obstinate. I think a lot of times we don't want to say this in church, that, you know, sometimes in church we got a whole lot of older brothers. You know, we've been faithful in ministry. You know, we've hung in there. We've done what we're supposed to do. We're present and we're accountable. You know, we're, we're dutiful in ministry, but we can be eaten up by unforgiveness and offense. And what happens in a body like this, and this is not a, this is not a, cha, you know, a, hey, let me confront the church. I'm just saying you know where you are. But what happens in church when there's a whole lot of that is the Spirit of God gets grieved and ministry shuts down. But forgiveness or getting free, getting free from offense, it opens the chamber door to God's glory in the church. It really does. My prayer lately has been, oh God, oh God, oh God, and I'm going to tell you what happened with this prayer. Oh God, restore glory to KPC. Lord, take us to a place in ministry where, you know, we kind of know what, what's going to happen this week, but we have no idea what you're going to do. Lord, take us to that place, God. Do it in us. And the Lord said, do you mean that, Steve? And I said, yes, Lord, I mean that. And he goes, okay, go to the staff and talk to them. So I went to the staff a week ago, and did anybody notice that last week was kind of amazing as a service. That was incredible. You know why that happened? Here's what happened. I went to the staff the week before and I said, hey, you know what, guys? We're a family. We work together. We pull in different directions. We got a lot of things going on, but we've got some offense in the staff. We've got areas of unforgiveness. We've got people on the staff that we, we avoid. Guys, we've got to repent of this. We've got to repent because we are holding the church hostage if we are, if, you know, if we're going to walk in and, you know, oh, you know what we do? We dress it up. Oh, we dress up. You know, we can justify anything in the church. We said no more justifying being offended and angry or anything else. We need to repent. The staff all week long, they spent time just forgiving one another of little things. Some people confessed out loud and said, you know what? In, in a group they did. Some people went one-on-one, -on -one, but the air changed I'm just the atmosphere changed in the office. And y'all, when we came in last week, I was like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I can feel it. I can feel it. I, I walked out of the sanctuary today, and I know today was a little calmer, but I had to walk out and get some water, which I never drank. So why did I go get it? But I walked out just before the meet and greet. 
came back in and I could just feel the difference in the room. When we lay all that stuff down, whether it's church hurt or whatever, the offense in our life, and we get clean, it is like channels open up for the Spirit of God to move. And, and I told the staff this a week and a half ago, you know, and I'll tell you, I, I, I appreciate a Presbyterian heritage. My, my, my theology is reformed, you know. I'm a guy who I, I like, I like order, I like structure, <laughs> but... There is nothing that compares to the fullness of the Spirit of God unleashed over His people. You know? Now, I, I happen to think that Reformed theology is, is a beautiful place for the, for the Spirit of God to inhabit. But listen, you know, truth of it is, man, if people come in here sick, I want to see them get healed. You know, people come in here broken, I want to see them get well. If there's something we need to hear from God, I want God to be able to say it. Even if he has to make some of us uncomfortable and do it in another language and interpret it, man, that's fine. That's fine. I was talking to a pastor yesterday, and I'll end with this. Uh, we were talking, we were over at uh, Providence New Life for lunch, and he said, man, Steve, don't you just get tired of talking about stuff? And I, I thought about um, It's a Wonderful Life where uh, James Stewart and Vi say that to each other. But, but I was like, brother, you, you better believe it. And he goes, man, I don't care what my, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't care what I came from. I want to move forward into the fullness of God. And we just prayed for each other. And I'll tell you why. He was praying for me. My heart was on fire. And then I turned with that fire and I prayed for another guy. And then he got on fire. And it was just a whole, it was just a whole lot of fire yesterday. It was awesome. So whether you feel like a prodigal or you feel like an older brother, what I want you to know is that our God has come to deal with everything in our life that gets in the way. So if anything today is in the way, if anything is crippling you, if there's a place where it hurts, guys, I want to pray for you right now. And I'm going to be a little bit bold, and I'm going to pray for you. And uh, I'm going to pray for all of us. If you need prayer after the service, come up and we'll have people pray. But I have to do something before I end. So receive this prayer in any way, any way you can this morning, okay? Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of the living God, I ask you right now to show us anything that's in the way. Where there's church hurt, where there's bitterness, where we have tried to forget someone, Lord, whether that person is sitting next to us in the pew, Lord, if there is any enmity, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that an alarm bell would go off inside of us right now. God, I ask you to show us right now by the Spirit of God, would you shine light on anything, anything that is hateful and hurtful within us right now? No matter how much prestige we have in this church, Jesus, show us. And Lord, together, as a church, we just want to turn and make that, make that spiritual run back home to you. You are the Father in this story. I thank you for welcome and embrace. And so right now, Lord God, if you, if you have to blow up some really nasty theology inside of us, Lord God, if, 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 Lord, if we are living thinking that we are on top of the mountain and you need to take us to our feet, Lord, if, if you need to make us lie down in green pastures, because we won't lie down in green pastures. Father, in Jesus' name, do it by the Spirit of God. Lord, we welcome the wounding that comes from the Spirit of God that leads to healing. We welcome the challenge that leads us to victory. Oh, Father God, just come, wash over us. We have communed with you at the Lord's table.
Father, would you wash over us? Finally, I just pray for the prodigals out there. God, I love them. I still feel like there will always be my, my tribe. Lord, where there's a prodigal child in this room that really fits the first part of Luke 15, I just say to you right now, you are loved, you are valued. God is crazy about you. Come home in Jesus' name. Come home, return in the name of Jesus Christ. And for those prodigals outside of this room, Lord, together we as a congregation stand in faith and we call them home. We call them home in the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. Spirit of God, would you draw them, draw them back like you drew me back. In Jesus' name, we worship you, Lord. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to my story.